good morning. <clears throat> it's been good to be here so far, and um, just encouraging to, to have folks joining the church and pray that this can be a blessing to you and to the church, and also looking forward to baptism um, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, and appreciate the church's flexibility as we hold with an open hand our plans and see, um, see what God has in mind. Today, I want to look at, oh, the text is going to be Titus 2. Um, you can flip there if you want. Um, while you are turning there, I do have a question for you I'd like you to think about, and we're going to circle back to it at the very end of the sermon. Um, but just think back over your, either your life where you're at now or maybe looking back over your life. Who was it that really walked with you, that helped you understand what it means to be either a godly man or a godly lady at, at certain phases of your life? So who was it that has impacted you as you understand what does it mean to be a godly man or a godly lady? And just like to have you think a little bit about that. Um, like I said, we're going to look at Titus 2, and for a number of reasons, uh, those of you who who have been here attending regularly know that the last time I preached, I talked about what does it mean uh, to be a godly man and what is biblical manhood. So I confess I did not feel led to jump into uh, what does godly ladyhood or womanhood uh, mean. Not saying that I won't, but I did not feel led to go down that path uh, today. But I, that concept has just been on my mind a lot of what does it mean to, to live out godly manhood and womanhood in today's culture um, so I was thinking about that, and the passage we're going to look at today has very specific directives for men and women, and so it, it breaks out instruction by gender and even by age or generation. Um, so that was part of the reason I was thinking about this, but also in, in the context, I just read through Titus in my personal devotions, and it's talking about ordaining pastors and qualifications for pastors, and right after that, it's talking about well, what does a godly life look like for these different generations of people? Um, so that's partly the background why, uh, why I felt led to, to look at this. So the title of today will be Men and Women, Lives That Accord with Sound Doctrine. Um, so on the book of Titus, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Um, Titus was a young man that Paul sent to the island of Crete. And as far as location and geography of the island, it would have been a wonderful place to live if you liked just being near the ocean and, and uh, all of that. It was a beautiful place to live. It was a pretty rough place, though, culturally. Um, they believed that their island, um, that a lot of the Greek gods had been born on their island. And of significance, there was a god named Zeus that they felt like came from their island. And to make matters worse, Zeus was known, and uh, he was known to be a liar and a womanizer, but rather than looking down on their God for this, they actually held that up as being virtuous. So does that give you some kind of a concept about the challenge of living in this culture? Um, and it's so fascinating. So he was, their, their quote, God, is, is known to be a liar. And if you open up your Bibles to Titus, uh, just, just look at Titus uh, chapter 1, what God says in the introduction here. Uh, Paul, in verse 1, introduces himself. And then in verse 2, he says, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So if you look through, it's interesting to look at what was happening culturally when you read these, uh, read these books. So um, that's what was happening for them. Um, 
And again, to make the picture even more bleak, what was happening is the men of the island, um, a lot of them were being hired out as mercenaries. So they would basically be, they'd agree to go fight for the, the highest wage. Um, so this is a rough place to be. And then uh, the ladies, it was a bit uh, like culture today, where there was a push for them to leave families and to go, to go be on their own and just experience their own life. Um, so in this kind of a context, there are churches in these little towns or cities along the harbor, and Titus is sent, and, he sa- and he's called to appoint elders in every church and to also um, to confront the false teachers that are there. And the false teachers, um, if you look also in chapter 1, again, just for some background for what we're going to talk about, um, it's quite the description of them. And just, just notice or listen to verse 16 in the end of this of chapter 1. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good works. So those are the false teachers that were, that were coming into the church and trying to attack the church so in this context, uh, Titus, we're going to jump in, in in verse 1, and rather than reading the whole chapter, we're just going to go through it um, a verse at a time um, throughout the morning. So Titus is told, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So he's, he said, go and, and ordain pastors. Here's qualifications for pastors. Here are the false teachers. But as for you, teach what is... Um, in agreement with sound doctrine. So in other words, how does sound doctrine look? How does it play out in our lives? Um, and what happens when God's grace totally transforms a life? Um, so one of, the, one of the things that I'd like us just to keep in mind as we go through the morning and, and thinking in terms of what is God's directing, direction for godly manhood and womanhood is that right beliefs will, re, will lead to right behavior. Right beliefs will lead to right behavior. Another way of saying that is true doctrine will lead to righteous living. So Titus is told to to teach what accords to sound doctrine. I've got a simple little graph up here. So uh, the last time I had preached, we talked about what does it mean to be made in the image of God and to live as a man. And today, God's instruction is going to be divided uh, for men and women. But beyond that, he's going to break it down into categories, younger men, Older men, younger women, and older women. So as you think about this, I'm curious which quadrant you picture yourself in. Anybody want to answer? Well, I don't have, you don't have to answer. But these are the categories that he's going to address. But I really am curious where you have yourself plotted on this. I will say, uh, one of the things in thinking through this, my sons are 11 and 13, and when they think about how old I am, they are convinced I am so old, and I feel that they look at life a little bit like this, that, that being over the hill happens pretty young in life. And uh, so maybe you're sitting here, and you're younger, and you're thinking, there's a pretty small group of younger people, and looking around, this group of older folks is really big. I don't know, maybe you feel that way. Or uh, for those of us that are in my stage of life in our 40s, I think we would tend to want to just move that line on over and have a hard time admitting that, you know what, honestly, we probably fall in the category of, of the older age or maybe getting close. Um, God doesn't actually say exactly what the age breakout is. It was interesting in studying this. Some people would feel it's around 50. 
I think for sure um, around 60, if you think about what God said to the widows, um, they aren't to be on the list if they're under 60. But let's just be brutally honest here that uh, physically, do you know what age young men peak at just as far as their you know, muscles and just at what age we start declining? It's a lot younger than we'd like to admit. It actually happens usually by around 30 for men. And for ladies, it can be up around 35, maybe, at the longest. So anyway, all that I'm saying is that let's listen to this. Uh, one thing we need to keep in mind in our culture is that our culture tends to elevate youth, um, which is actually imbalanced. A lot of cultures elevate age, and Scripture would, would definitely elevate age, but also all stages of life. Um, so let's just be honest where we're at as you listen um, so listen to all of the categories um, as we go through God's, uh, God's instruction. I want to start um, in moving into verse 2. So older men, and I just want to you know, call attention to what God, what his instruction is for each of these categories. What does it mean to be a godly man and a godly woman? And this isn't, you know, obviously all of Scripture does apply to men and women, but this is specific to some of the things that men and women can face. So, for older men, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So, just want to think through a bit, what, what is God saying for older men, the older men in the church? When he uses the word sober-minded, it, has, it does have the idea of being free from wine, but also of being temperate, clear-headed, and one of the concepts that really comes through is just vigilant and watchful. So older men have lived through a lot of different things in a lot of years, and God calls older men in the church to, to use that and to have a watchful outlook on life, to be vigilant, to look at, to look at what um, some of the issues are. So this word here for sober-minded is also uh, in the list of the requirements for an overseer. And it's also listed in 1 Timothy for the requirements of a, of a wife or a deacon's wife. 1 Peter 4, 7 tells us that we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. So the next characteristic of an older man that's godly is just dignified. And this has the idea of just being worthy of respect. That here's a person that is worthy of being honored and worthy of being respected. And it's not a situation where, where the person has to demand or ask for respect, but it's just because of their character and who they are. They are they're dignified. They're worthy, worthy of being respected. They're not trying to impress people. Um, and again, I'll just point out that this is one of the requirements that we had talked about for deacons, to be dignified or worthy, worthy of respect. Then the word is self-controlled, and it it carries the idea of just being sound in mind, prudent or sensible, and being balanced, where you're able to care for multiple, uh, multiple different priorities. And we're not, uh, not given to extremes, maybe not dogmatic um, in, in how we handle things. So older men are called to be self-controlled. One of the things I will point out is as we go through this, uh, self-controlled is listed again and again and again in this passage. It's either listed or referenced for every age group, and at the end, it's called out again. It is, it's one of the key characteristics of being a godly man or godly lady. 
Then he goes on to say three things, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. And the word for sound, it just, it has the idea of being healthy. And I found this interesting. It actually apparently is the same root word for where we get the word hygiene. And so it's, it's healthy. And it's something that, that is active, that's continual, um, that's fresh. So older men should be, um, they should be sound in their faith. This is a personal faith. And regardless of age, it's actually a growing faith, and it's an active faith. It's not a faith that just looks back, but it's an an active faith for where they're at now. Um, This also has the idea of just a moral conviction and a belief in the trueness of God, in the truth of God, that God does not lie. So this is an active faith. Then he goes on to say, uh, sound in love, Um, you know, culturally, there's the joke about grumpy old men, and this is just opposite of that, that just sound in love um, and caring about and investing in other people. So often when you see the words um, faith and love, what do you expect to read next? Faith, love, and hope. But for whatever reason, this is, is changed into perseverance. And I think that one of the things that, that older men and older folks deal with is just a lot of things that are difficult in this stage of life that require a lot of perseverance and patience, Uh, maybe in ways that that us younger folks don't have to deal with. But uh, the older men are called to be sound in their steadfastness or their patience um, to finish well. It's interesting, there's a lot more said to the older men than to the younger men. And one of, the, one of the thoughts I had on that is just that older men are called to be an example to the younger men. So looking at this, there is a dignity, there's a vibrant faith, and there's a clear thinking for this age group um, of a godly men following Christ. All right, then he moves to the older women, and he says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women Two, and I'll stop there because what they are to train is the direction for the younger ladies. But the older ladies are to be reverent in behavior. And I found this interesting. The, the idea here is just that how they're conducting themselves, it would be the same wording as fit for service in the temple. So it's a holiness um, and a, a reverent approach to life that, um, to where they're ready to serve and to minister to other people. They're set apart for service. Other translations would have the idea of becoming for holiness, or it, it points towards holiness. So that's a positive. Then, it, then there's a warning, not a slanderer. And the word for slander is where we get the word for devil, actually, for diabolic. If you think about it, um, Satan is defined as an accuser of the brethren. So one of the warnings to older ladies is to not not give in to slander, to to talking about people in a negative way that's tearing people down rather than than building people up. So not give in to slander and not slaves to much wine or not give in to alcohol. Um, And I found this interesting that this is one of the things that is listed for both older men and older ladies, but not not given to a lot of alcohol. And you know, in our context, maybe that doesn't seem like a huge issue, but in reading a bit about it and thinking through this, this would have been before the days of, oh, you know what, I've got a headache and I'm going to go to the medicine cabinet and grab some Advil. Um, 
I've got an upset stomach and I'm going to go get some Pepto-Bismol. My arthritis is bothering me. I'm home without a lot to do. Um, so anyway, in, in this day and age, it probably was a much more of a, an active temptation, as it were. Not that it's not today, um, but just something that would have potentially been an issue for older ladies. And so I think as we think about these things, um, yes, it speaks to the issue, but let's not narrow it to the issue. But there are a lot of other things in life that we can become slaves to or to not be free from. And so let's, uh, let's also consider those things. And then the instruction is that they are to teach what is good and to train. So to teach what is good um, is the call for the older ladies here. What does it mean to be good and or, uh, to live out the goodness of Christ? And I think that if older ladies are called to teach what is good and to teach younger, younger ladies, it's implied that there's an interest in the lives of the younger folks, that older ladies do need to and are called to take an interest in and to speak into, to spend time. Um, I get the picture of just motherly care and advice coming from an older lady who's been there um, and just what an opportunity to speak into others' lives. So thinking a bit about older ladies, uh, maybe they are free to invest uh, time in ways that they weren't able to if they were raising a family. Another thing is that, and I guess if those of you who are older can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things that I idealize maybe a bit about being older is that maybe you've worked through some of your uh, insecurities and things like that that some of us who are younger have not, which gives, gives you an opportunity to speak into our lives. And I know that uh, every age has certain things we work through. Part of the reason that I said that is there was a man that served as a bit of a mentor for me for a year or two, and I was discussing the situation with him that I was, I was worked up about and you know, was struggling, like, you know, could I say the right thing? And he was just, you know, yeah, it's fine. You know, don't worry about it. Gave me good advice. And I was like, how can you not be so worried about other people? And he was like, you know what, Ivan? He's like, uh, you're younger than me. He's like, that all changed for me about the time I turned 50. So anyway, I don't know if that is your testimony or not. But it, my point is that often older folks have worked through some of the issues that us younger folks are still facing and have an opportunity to speak into it. It doesn't minimize the challenges uh, that you face at that stage of life. And the challenge here is to not become self-focused at this stage. And I want to encourage both the older men and women here that your lives preach a very powerful and clear message to younger folks. Uh, you may not feel that way, but your lives are very powerful in influencing younger people. All right, so I want to shift gears a bit and move to the younger women. Uh, so the older women are called to teach, and here's what they are called to teach. So train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So just thinking a bit of the list for the younger ladies here, first of all is to love your husbands and to love, your, uh, to love the children. So the love relationships are a primary responsibility, and loving those people that God has put in your care and around you um, is one of the primary things that God calls you to do. So obviously, some of this comes natural, but if we're called to teach this, 
it would imply that a lot of this maybe doesn't come natural, and we need people to, to walk with us and, and teach us how, um, how to do that. So I want to encourage you, uh, young ladies, to, to love your husbands, um, first of all, and to love your children. Just thinking a bit about this in, in the busyness of life, if you're anything like our family, that it can be one thing to care for your children and make sure that they have what they need and, you know, we're, we're eating dinner and we're doing this, but, but the direction here is to slow down and to love them, um, to be aware of them and to notice them and to invest in loving your children. Then it goes on again to be self-controlled, and I've described what this means, but this is just a characteristic at all ages of life that God calls us to live out. Um, so it's the same word as, as actually the older men were called to be. Then the word is pure or chaste, and the idea is just controlling our, our passions or our desire, and it speaks to the character of our heart. And so young ladies are to, to care about character um, internally, and it has the idea of a, a clean character or a clean heart that God gives us and, and allows us to keep clean. Um, this, it does have the idea as well of being modest, of not calling attention to yourself. Then he goes on to say working at home. Um, King James would translate this keepers at home. and It has the idea of, of, yes, working at home, but also of guarding the home. And God has positioned moms and ladies to to be aware, to notice things, to guard, to guard the home, and it is significant. Um, has the idea of being a good manager of the household. Um, this is not to let men off the hook. We are called to, to help out, but I do think that ladies are particularly gifted at domestic-related things uh, in ways that us men maybe are not. Um, if Nicole tells me to keep the house clean, it might look clean by my definition, but it probably will look a little different than uh, when Nicole is home to keep it clean. So I'm not saying that's the only thing, but God has wired and gifted ladies to notice things that men do not. Then he goes on to say that we young ladies are called to be kind, which has the idea of being good or virtuous. And again, um, thinking about family life and the busyness of it, sometimes the thought to just slow down and be kind um, can be difficult, and, need, and we need to be reminded of it. And then to be submissive to husbands, and that is just you know, willingly coming under God's, uh, God's direction of, of the structure of the home. Um, in thinking about this, some of these things feel pretty basic um, to our understanding of Scripture, but we have to admit that they are also counterculture, and there's a lot of culture that would read this list and potentially react to it. Um, and so let's just, re as we look at this, let's just make sure that, that we are basing our understanding on, on Scripture and not on the pressures of culture, that God puts a premium value on the marriage relationship and home and children and does not um, diminish the value of that. Also, I want to be clear in looking at this list that there is there is directives here far beyond just for those ladies that are married. There are um, directives about being self-controlled and pure and kind and just overall attitudes of character here. And that being single in no way is less than. Um, I actually think about Paul who was directing, he said, I wish that everybody would be like me and remain single. So it is not, it in no way diminishes your value 
or the role that you play um, as a young lady. Then the, the direction here is really strong. All of this is important that the word of God may not be reviled. <clears throat> and so just thinking about, again, I mean, it's referencing back to marriage, but I think all of this, that our marriages reflect Christ in the church, and there is a lot at stake um, if we live out in a godly way. Because um, he says if we don't, uh, the word of God may be, uh, may be reviled. All right, let's go on uh, to the young men. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, if depending how you read this, the instructions may stop right there. That that's the only directive for young men. I'm going to choose to re- continue on and read Titus' instruction. I think it does apply to young men and, and to all of the groups. Um, but for sure, the primary directive for young men is to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And I feel like I've talked a lot about being self-controlled, but as I look back on my life and being a younger man, it really is one of the core issues for young men. Um, I think about Proverbs that talks about if there's a person who is not self-controlled, it's the same as a city whose walls are broken down. And there is no, you know, there's no defense without self-control. Um, when, you, when we're younger, we tend to waste time, money, and just not have the perspective that age brings us. And so God tells us to be self-controlled. I, very small example of this. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I was on the road for Choice Books doing deliveries, and I would leave early in the morning... And my dad would always offer to make me coffee. But I would almost always decline and drive about a mile down the road to 7-Eleven and stop and buy my coffee and my blueberry donut. And, you know, I look back on that. Was it a big deal? Probably not. But, like, over a two-year period, you know, when I got to be 25 and Nicole and I are getting married and trying to figure out how to do a down payment and how in the world to get, you know, how we're going to get started. And I'm thinking back and doing the math, and I'm like, I probably ate and drank like $1,000 because I walked out of the house and wouldn't take my dad's coffee that he had brewed for me. And my mom would offer, hey, do you want me to pack you a lunch? And like, no, I'm good. I'll go to Taco Bell. Anyway, you, you end up doing these things that uh, you, give a little, you give yourself a little time and you go, that was not very wise or self-controlled or thinking in the long term. Um, and so we really need older men and people in our lives to speak into it uh, to help us to have self-control. Um, he then goes, so that's self-control. He, t- he shows, he tells to Titus and to the young men to be a model of good works, that our teaching should be, should show integrity, that it's, it's, um, it's real through and through. Um, again, the word of dignity is there. We talked about that. And then a sound or healthy speech that cannot be condemned. And again, the stakes are high so that opponents may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. I do want to just read this because in the context it's here. I'm not intentionally skipping over this, um, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to focus on it. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
So God is addressing households, and at this time, slaves would have been considered a part of the household. There likely were a lot of slaves in the church. So he outlines what a godly life as a slave would look like, and then he says that in everything we can adorn uh, the doctrine of God, our Savior. All right, so here, um, here is a summary of what God has directed for the different quadrants. So for older men, you can see the list. For older women, here's the list of things we've talked about. For younger men, or for younger women and younger men. So let's just um, consider these and, and allow God to, to develop these things and maybe refine and encourage us in them um, as we consider this this morning. So what is at stake for living a godly life as a man or woman? And I've referenced this, but verse 1 says that our lives should be according to sound doctrine. Verse 5 told us that if it's not, the word of God can be reviled. Verse 8 tells us that opponents will be able to speak evil of us if we don't live this out. And verse 10 says that we may not adorn the doctrine of God our Savior if we don't live this out. So I hope we feel some degree of weight to understand um, how God wants us to live um, in this. But I also need to keep going in the passage because it is full of good news. And here's, here are the, the verses that follow. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So all of these directions stand on the grace of God. He says, this is what you're called to do for God's grace has come. And I... Yeah, at the risk of, this could be a whole sermon. It's probably one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Um, But God has brought salvation to us through his grace. And his grace trains us to say no to things, but it also trains us to say yes to things and to put our hope fully in eternity. And so when we look at this list of what we're called to to be and to do, it's God's grace flowing through us. And I just want to highlight something when we think about God's grace transforming us from where we were to where God wants us to be. Um, Here's a verse that I did not read. Brandy, can you advance? Um, I think the battery is dead on this. So in in chapter 1, I was talking about the, the Cretan culture. Here's a verse that describes it. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So this is the culture that, these direct, that the directives were given to. Now, Brandy, could you advance it? This is in the next chapter. Look at the comparison to a life lived on our own and then a life lived by the grace of God. Um, and look at verse 12. So God's grace trains us, or it just it's the idea of child training and raising us up trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So when God's grace comes in our lives, we go from verse 12 of chapter 1 to verse 12 of chapter 2. 
And I hope this encourages us as we think about living out our faith and sharing the gospel with folks that God's grace can completely and does completely change lives. Um, and to that degree, go ahead to the next one. The end of, of this chapter says, to declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one discard, uh, disregard you. You can go to the next slide. So again, I want to just um, come back to, as older men, older women, older um, younger men and younger women, living out God's grace, and, and how does that look? So just looking at the, uh, at the chart here, one thing to keep in mind is that if you're here and you have yourself in the younger category, also pay attention to the older category, because that is where God is headed with you. So pay attention to both, uh, both categories. Um, I don't know where he got it, Nate, but your dad, I, used to, I could still hear him saying, he would always, often say, you are what you have been becoming. And I, I even looked online, I don't know where it came from. But, so for those, of, those that put themselves in the younger category, you are what you have been becoming. The thing that is, uh, we need to sit up and take notice is that time does not guarantee maturity. Time does not guarantee maturity as we consider this. So for the older generation, I want to encourage you that uh, the directive of the passage today was to teach the older generation this. And that means that you are still called to be learning and growing um, at, all, at every stage of life. So each group has unique challenges and opportunities. But one of the clear expectations that I see is that the older generation is called to teach the younger generation. Um, we see that in families. We see it in church. God is, God's call is for all Christians to encourage those that are behind them. So I think rather than thinking where you're at on the, on the chart, it, the, the word is older and younger, and there's almost always a younger than you. And so who can you, who can you invest in? Um, and there typically is an older than you. Who can you ask for input uh, from them? I think that we need um, somebody to be mentoring us, we need peers, and then we should also be always investing in those that are, um, are behind us. Um, next slide. Thinking about this uh, in closing, Psalm 145 um, talks about this. I'm going to read these four verses. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will, praise you, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So as we think about this, uh, I think verse 4 is God's design for the church. That one generation is, is always talking about and commending to the next generation what God has done. Look at what God has done um, in teaching them. So circling back to who has helped you in the past, it's very valuable if somebody has invested in you what does it mean to be a godly man or woman at this stage? Who could help you understand what it means to be a godly man or lady where you're at right now? At this stage of life, who could help you? Who could walk with you? And I also ask you to consider who could you invest in? Is there somebody that God is asking you to intentionally invest in? Are you actively working to teach and encourage those younger than you and if not, 
what would need to change for that to happen? What would need to change for you to actively invest in those younger than you? Thank you for uh, your attention and considering this today. Um, I invite you to stand, and I'd like to just ask God's blessing on us as a church in whatever stage of life we are in. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for your grace. God, your grace that completely changes us. We didn't deserve it. Um, God, your grace was revealed in Christ and, and his sacrifice on the cross. Um, God, your grace teaches us how to live, what to say no to, what to say yes to, and, and how to set our hope fully on you and to be eager for the good works that you outlined for us. Um, Lord, I pray for myself and for each of us here. Um, God, would you give us the ability to see um, accurately where we're at? And uh, Lord, would you speak to us on these different characteristics? By your grace, may we develop them um, through your power at work in us. And God, I also just pray that you would bring along uh, beside us those that we need um, for their encouragement and, and their investment in our lives. God, would you give each of us the opportunity to invest in others that are younger than us? And may your kingdom and your church just be built up uh, for your honor and glory as that happens. Um, commit this week to you. Please protect us and guide us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.